Hey, Karen, can you close can you close the door, please? Okay. All right, I'm going to start with the definition tonight because I'm going to use this word uh, frequently throughout the sermon, and I want to make sure you know what it means, okay? The word is conspicuous. I'm sure you probably all know, but let me just remind you. It means easy to notice and obvious. It means attracting attention by being unusual or being remarkable. You got that? I'm going to call you tonight. I'm going to exhort you to be a conspicuous believer. Of course, James has been talking about this all the way through his book. To be conspicuous in the world. This is what he's calling us to. This is what the Lord is calling us to, I believe, in the book of James. Uh, as most of you know, Karen and I went to Interlaken this last uh, week for the summer retreat we always attend this time of year. And you never really know what you're going to get when you go up there. Sometimes you get a real preacher. Sometimes you get a, a pretender. And uh, we got a real preacher uh, or two this time. And he really blessed me anyway. But, you know, sometimes you get guys that show up and they tell three jokes, four funny stories, some psychobabble, and a tear-jerking closing illustration, right? And, oh, oh, he forgot to even open the Bible and read anything to you from the Word of God. But he was quite entertaining. You know what I'm talking about, those kind of guys that uh, perpetrate malpractice in pulpits all over, all over the world. I've often thought, and I've shared with you at, some of you at some times, that, uh, you know, if preachers had to carry malpractice insurance like physicians do, that lawyers would be lined up uh, to, to sue preachers all over the world for malpractice. I mean, just the gross theological, theological neglect in many, many pulpits around the world. How much more serious is theological malpractice than medical malpractice? You ever thought about it? Infinitely more serious. We're talking about eternal consequences this is what I think about when I'm preparing a sermon each week, okay? Eternal consequences. But last Sunday night, we heard a real preacher really preach the Word of God. It wasn't another one of those, I think Piper coined this phrase, it wasn't another chatty sermon. It wasn't cotton candy. It wasn't, I'm okay, you're okay. He opened up the Bible and he spoke straight to us from the Word of God. We heard I am speak to us last Sunday night. And as this man was preaching, there was a, a hush came over the congregation. An unnatural, let me just say supernatural hush came over it. I could feel it. And I began to look at people's faces. And not only could you feel the quiet, you could see this God presence on many of the people's faces. You could see it. God was there. He was speaking through His Word. And He was convicting people. And it was powerful. And I, I, that's why, that's one reason we go to Interlochen. I love to hear good preaching. I love to hear good preaching. And we were fortunate to hear from a man who was not afraid to preach the, the Word of God. Uh, it wasn't another boringly predictable episode of Happy Church, <laughs> which I'm sure many of us have sat through at one time or another. And I think, I think as I looked around, I think the people were kind of shocked. Because I really think they, most people I think come to Interlochen, you know, just to have some happy church, right? And sometimes happy church is okay. But, you know, sometimes you need to hear from God. Sometimes you need to hear from I am. Sometimes you need to tremble. <laughs> and, uh, and I appreciated this man. I appreciated this man. 
who brought this message from the awesome, fearsome, almighty, holy, consuming fire God. He took us to Isaiah chapter 1. And you don't ever turn to Isaiah chapter 1 in happy church. You don't ever go there, right, Keith? You don't go there in happy church because Isaiah chapter 1 is not very happy. I am is not pleased with the happy synagogue and the happy temple that the Jews, the uh, yeah, 7th century uh, B.C. Jews are perpetrating. They're com- you remember the complaint God has? They're coming what? In pretense? They're bringing their heart dead and brain dead religion before God? You remember what the prophet called it? He says, why are you trampling my courts? This is how God sees it. This uh, Christian light stuff that goes on in many, many places. Many places. The Jews were presuming on the mercy, the forbearance, and the grace of God. It's kind of like that mental ascent, easy believism of our day. God actually says, you are like Sodom and Gomorrah. Go read Isaiah chapter 1. And I'm just going to share with you, Eugene Peterson is the guy that paraphrased uh, that wrote the paraphrase, the message. And I'm just going to share, I went, went into Isaiah chapter 1, I picked out some selected comments from his paraphrase. Let me just share them with you. God calls them mis, misguided dropouts. No, misguided God dropouts. He said, quit your worship charades and trivial worship games. I can't stand one more of them. I'm sick of your religion while you go on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I will be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I will not be, lis- be listening. God is condemning this brain-dead, heart-dead religion that the Jews were practicing. If we read our Bibles at all, if we have even a superficial understanding of the Scriptures, we understand that God hates sham Christianity. God hates it. It's a stench. It's a stench in God's nostrils. And to bring it in our context, it's kind of like going to church on Sunday, professing love for God, and then going out in the world and sinning with a high hand Monday through Saturday. That's the equivalent. This is what God is talking to the Jews about in Isaiah chapter 1. God says, I hate that. He says, it's a burden to me and I am weary of it. This is what He told the Old Testament Jews. It's no no different in the New Testament church. Okay? So Jim, what's all this got to do with James chapter 3? I think it has something to do with it. I'll try to make the connection. Uh, I love what John Piper says about good preaching. He says, all good preaching will have two elements, gravity and gladness. I've shared this with you before. All good preaching will have those two elements, gravity and gladness. And I'm thankful to that preacher last Sunday night. He walked in there and he gave us the Word of God. Right? He didn't really care how people felt about it. He didn't really care how popular he was going to be. He didn't really care how many invites he was going to get to dinner. He just gave us the Word of God. And I really, really appreciated that. There is a place for gravity and seriousness and solemnity in the church. You know this, right? You know this, I hope. You know this. And in most churches, it's urgently needed. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He was a great American preacher in the last century. He says, no one can know the true grace of God who has not first known, does anybody know? The true fear of God. You cannot know the true grace of God before you know the true fear of God. John Newton said it exactly like that in the most famous hymn ever written in Christendom. What did John Newton say? Was grace that taught my heart to 
fear. And grace, my fear, relieved. Newton understood this. Newton understood this. And of course, the psalmist says it perfectly. The Word of God says it perfectly. Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And we're talking about wisdom. Here's the connection, I hope. We're talking about wisdom in James chapter 3 tonight. And God says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You must pass through the gravity to get to the gladness. It's a truth. It's a biblical truth. And God, one thing God is calling us to in our text this evening is to live out the wisdom that originates in the fear of the Lord. And He's really holding this up as a evidence of your conversion, as much of James is. But he's, he's, he's exhorting us to live out the wisdom that originates in the fear of God, in the fear of the Lord, which is tantamount, and I'll share this with you later, tantamount to true conversion, to live a life that reveals both the gravity and gladness of the gospel. We love people enough. How many times have I said it to you? We love people enough to tell them the whole truth, whether they want to hear it or not, whether they're going to accept it or not. Now, we try to obviously be wise and discerning as to when we share certain truths with people. But if we love these people, we're going to tell them the truth. There's great gravity in the biblical message. And there's infinite gladness in the biblical message. And both are equally true. And both equally need to be heard. We must not neglect the gravity of the biblical message or we will not be able to fully understand the gladness of it. One of the, one of the preachers uh, up there this week said this, and I loved it. He says, if we preach less of the love of God and more of the wrath of God, we will have more to say about the love of God. You get that? All the truth informs the, the uh, particular pieces of the truth. If you don't have all the truth, you don't... Fo- you know, I told you this story one time, a young uh, girl that... We were discipling here six or eight years ago when we were here the first time. We were studying through the this attributes of God. We were studying the wrath of God, right? And, and she'd been in a weak church. She'd never really heard about this. She did. And she, she finally, boom, the light came on over her head. She says, I finally understand why the cross was necessary. I never knew it. I never knew it. If you don't know all of the biblical message, you can't really understand fully any of it. So I think that's, a, that's an important truth, an important truth for us to understand. If you never study, if you never meditate, if you never think deeply upon the gravity of the biblical message, you will never fully understand or comprehend the gladness that resides there. That's what that preacher at Interlochen was saying. That's what A.W. Tozer is saying. That's what John Newton is saying. That's what the psalmist is saying. That's what God is saying. As we look at this text tonight, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the Word of God. So James has been exhorting us. Let me just do a quick review and I'll hit the text. James has been exhorting us to radically and extravagantly live out, the, live out our faith If we're Christians, he said, it should be visible in the world. You're to put uh, the glory and the honor and the value and the worth and the beauty of Jesus on display for the lost world to see and be attracted to. We're supposed to be, what? Conspicuous Christians. 
We're supposed to be conspicuous Christians. What does that mean? Does anybody remember? You're supposed to be what? Obvious. People are supposed to be able to see and know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They belong to Jesus. That's what it means. You're You're to be easy to notice. And thus far, James has said... Specifically, God says, my children live their faith out in their trials. We've talked about that. In their temptations. We've talked about that. In their impartiality. We've talked about that. And in their speech. We talked about that, I think, two weeks ago. God told us that do-nothing hearers are what? People who simply hear the Word but don't ever do the Word are what? James chapter 1, verse 22. They are deluded. Is what God says. Real Christians are supposed to get up every morning and do what? Someone tell me. From James chapter 1, verse 22, when you get up in the morning, we're supposed to do what? The Word. Right? All day. That's your job. That's your job description. You do the Word. All day. When you get up in the morning. God has also told us over that great text over in James chapter 2, He says, do nothing talkers have a dead faith. God actually asks the question, what good is it to talk and not do? And God actually answers His own question. He says, it's no good at all. He says, it's useless. What a great text that was, right? What a great text. I love that text. God says, do nothing talkers are no better than do nothing hearers. And He is exhorting us to be real Christians. Hebrews 11 Christians. Christians who do the Word by faith every morning when we wake up. So God means for for Jesus to be on display in your life. Your spouse is supposed to see it. Your kids are supposed to see it. Your colleagues are supposed to see it. Your neighbors are supposed to see it. Your friends are supposed to see it. You're supposed to be what? What's the word? Someone tell me. Conspicuous. See, I want you to walk out of here because I know 99% of what I say you won't remember. But maybe you'll remember you're supposed to be conspicuous in the world. That's why you're still walking the planet. You know this, right? That's why God's left you here. He he would just take you on home. It would be far better to be with the Lord, right? I agree with the Apostle Paul. It would be far better to be with Him. He's left you here. He's left the redeemed here for one reason. To be conspicuous. And to draw the lost to His Son. To His Son for His glory and His honor. Real Christians don't presume on the mercy and forbearance and grace of God. We understand That fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and God is exhorting us to walk in wisdom. And I just feel like I had to lay that groundwork. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as we talk about wisdom in James chapter 3. If we are truly born from above, the wisdom from above will be flowing through our lives. You see that that phrase right there in verse 17. But the wisdom from above. So if we're born from above, the wisdom from above is supposed to be flowing through our lives. In a, what? Conspicuous manner. Yes, you got it. You guys are sharp. You guys are sharp, man. Okay, James chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Let me define wisdom for you in the way that James is using it. This is not about having data or information or knowledge. That's not what it's about. Now, wisdom has that. But wisdom is the application. It's the application of that knowledge. That's what what God is talking about here. God's not talking about what you know. He's talking about how you live. How you live with what you know. How do you apply the, the living truth of the Word of God in your life every morning when you get up? 
This is what he's talking about. It's not simply data. It's how we live. Verse thir- look at verse 13. It says, what does God say about, uh, about wisdom in the Christian's life? He says what? What does he say? If you have wisdom, what does he say? Someone tell me from the text. Let him what? Show it. You're supposed to be what? Conspicuous. Let him show it by his good deeds. Isn't that what the Word of God says? Or his good behavior. His deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. God says, if you're wise, I want you to show it. If you have the wisdom that originates in the fear of the Lord, I want you to show it. You don't hide your light under a bowl, you said. Bowl. Or basket. That's how I learned it. You don't hide your light. You let it shine. Why are we supposed to let the light shine? So, so that men will see our good works and what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. We're back to that Sarah Groves song. If it's really changed in your heart, if the change has happened, <laughs> it's all going to spill out in your life, right? If you don't know that song, I'll tell you about it after the, after the sermon. It's a beautiful song. She says, something's changed in my heart. And she said, it's, it's broken wide open and it's all spilled out into my life. I love that song. That's true Christianity. That's what James is talking about. If, if, if you really have the wisdom from above, if you're born from above, you have the wisdom from above and you live it conspicuously every day when you get up. Isn't Christianity easy? We try to make it so hard. It's easy. You just do what Jesus says. It's easy. Come on, tell me it's easy. You know it's easy. It's not hard. We make it hard, I think, quite often. So if the whole born, born from above thing is real, the wisdom from above will be spilling out in our lives. And I love this little phrase at the end of verse 13. The gentleness of wisdom. Uh, deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The Greek word translated gentleness connotes a graciousness and a tenderness. Some English translations say it like this, the meekness of wisdom or the humility of wisdom. It's the same Greek word Jesus used to uh, describe himself. You remember how Jesus described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine? He says, take my yoke and learn from me for I am what? Gentle and humble of heart. It's the same Greek word used in Galatians 5, 23 where the, the word of God is telling us the fruits of the Spirit. And gentleness is one of them. This kind of gentleness is divine. And it, it's a mark of a true believer. Jesus possessed it and the, the Spirit imparts it. So let me ask you, Christian, is it, is it conspicuous in your life? This gentleness, this gentle application of the wisdom of God in your life. Is it conspicuous in your life? And then James is going to contrast the wisdom that comes from above with the wisdom of the world. Verses 14 to 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every... My text says, every evil thing. James says, if your life is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition, if you're envious, if you're uh, covetous, if you're resentful, 
if the sum and substance of your aspirations are self-centered and self-seeking and self-consumed, he says you do not possess the wisdom of God. It doesn't matter what you say. You don't possess the wisdom of God. You don't possess the wisdom from above. The wisdom that originates in the fear of the Lord. That kind of mindset, that's, that jealousy and selfish ambition, that kind of mindset is the antithesis of the wisdom of God. James says jealousy and, selfish, and selfishness are not from God. They, where do they come from? They're the fruits of man's rebellion against God. God says jealousy and selfish ambition uh, are of the world. They're earthly, they're natural, and they're demonic. Let's just go back and use a phrase I've used many, many times in this pulpit. I'll just make this real simple. If you think it's about you, <laughs> you, you don't know anything about the wisdom of God. You don't know anything about the wisdom from above. You don't know anything about um, the wisdom that originates in the fear of the Lord. If you think it's all about you, right? We've talked about this a lot. If you think you're the center of the universe, if you're hopelessly absorbed in your self-absorption, you do not possess, you do not possess the wisdom that is coming down from God. You're still hopelessly caught up in your sin. What does it mean that your, your thinking is, is earthly? I like what one commentator said. He says, you're earthbound. You're earthbound. You can't even think about the things of God. You're earthbound. You're stuck here. Your thoughts don't go that far. You can't get up there. You can't understand Him. You're earthbound. I really like that thought. You're fallen and, and your thoughts are narrow. They're one-dimensional. You do not fear the Lord. If your heart is this way, you do not fear the Lord. Then the text says, the text says that uh, natural. What does that mean? Your thinking is natural. It just means bound to the sensual appetites of the flesh. That's all it means. Operating on a carnal level, a level of feelings and impulses and desires. A heart that operates like that does not know the wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. Think about it. Why did Satan fall? Does anybody remember the account over uh, Ezekiel 28? Why did Satan fall? He thought it should be all about him. You remember? He thought it should be all about him. Actually, if you go over to Isaiah 14, you can read the words. It says, Because he said in his heart, I will make myself like the Most High. Isn't that how most men live their lives? They want it to be all about them. And they, they set out to live their lives and they build their lives all about... It's just all about them. It's all about them. Yeah, I may, I may tip my hat to God on Sunday, but really it's all about me. I'm going to spend 99% of my time and money and resources and gifts and talents on me. God detests that. That is not the wisdom from above. That is not the wisdom that flows from the fear of the Lord. Jealousy and selfish ambition originated in Satan. Do you see why God calls it demonic? <laughs> you see why God calls it demonic? Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and just about every evil thing. Is that what your text says? What does your Bible say? You know, it doesn't say just a few evil things or a couple of evil things. My text actually says 
Every evil thing is there. If you're operating in jealousy and selfish ambition, every evil thing is there in your life. Wow. You know, I was thinking about this. If I was just, somebody said, Jim, would you come preach? I would never preach this text. I would never, I would never go here. I would go somewhere with a huge big God text, you know. And, and, but I love preaching verse by verse because I'm forced to deal with these texts I would never otherwise preach. And I loved it this week as I, as I spent time studying. As I spent time studying. God says, man, if you're dealing in jealousy and selfish ambition, every evil thing, not, not almost every evil thing, every evil thing is alive and well in your life. Wow. That's a serious word. That's a serious word from the Lord. And don't we see it in the world? Don't we see every kind of discord and disharmony and disorder and every seemingly imaginable evil that could be... And I'm sure men are out there thinking of new evils to perpetrate on, on, on mankind. But don't we see it? Don't we see that? Hasn't Satan and his willing accomplices, man, uh, polluted the world in that way? But Paul told the Corinthians, he says, I preach a wisdom that is not of this age. Don't you love that? I preach a wisdom that is not of this age. He said, a wisdom that none of the rulers of this age understand. He says, a wisdom that natural man does not accept nor understand. It's the wisdom from above. The wisdom that comes down from God. Beloved, this whole section, I, I've told you this, James just keeps making these points to us. It's about true conversion. <laughs> you know, it's very similar to First John that we went through last year. But God says, if you're one of my children... You're supposed to live by the wisdom that, that, I, that I grant, the, the wisdom that originates, that originates in the fear of the Lord. I like, uh, I like uh, what MacArthur says about this, John MacArthur. He says, The fear of the Lord is tantamount to saving faith, which opens to us the continual flow of the wisdom of God in which we walk and conduct our lives. I love that. I, love that. I think that's perfect. Yeah, the, it's, it's tantamount. There's, there, there's synonymous terms, the fear of the Lord. It's the same as being born again. It's Old Testament phrase, New Testament phrase. You know, you really have to want to be deceived about being a Christian. You have to really want, you have to be willful and purposeful about being deceived about, your own, about being a Christian. Because God just says it over and over and over and over again. If you belong to me, this is how you'll look. This is what you look like. Everywhere you turn in the Bible, it, it almost, almost on every page, God is, is telling us what we're supposed to look like. You have to really want to be deceived about that. You really do. God unquivoc unequivocally says, if you're mine, you will look like it. You will look like it. You will sound like it. You will smell like it. You will taste like it. This is the, the message of God. Eugene Peterson is right, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in that great, your faith without works is dead passage. God talk without God acts is what? Does anybody remember? I love it. God talk without God acts is what? It's outrageous nonsense. Go look it up. Eugene Peterson. James chapter 2. 
It's outrageous nonsense. And of course we know that much of religion is in that place. James chapter 3 verse 17, but the wisdom from above is what? It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Verse 18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The wisdom from above is a reflection of the one who is from above. Right? It's a reflection of God. It's a reflection of Jesus. We know what Hebrews chapter 1 tells us about the Lord Jesus, that He is the exact representation of His nature. The exact representation of God. So all we have to do is go read the Gospels and see how Jesus walked and see how Jesus lived. That's all we have to do to understand what this wisdom is supposed to look like. But James is, is uh, giving us a list here. In verse 17, how did Jesus walk? In purity, right? In peace, in gentleness. He was reasonable, full of mercy, full of good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. The wisdom of God was, was what? Conspicuous in the life of Jesus. And if you are born from above, it's supposed to be conspicuous in your life as well. That's one of the things James, I think, is saying to us in this text. You remember 1 John? I'm going to share with you uh, just some, some brief verses from uh, 1 John. We went through that last year. You know, 1 John, I love John. He, he's a black and white preacher, you know. He doesn't spin it. He doesn't take the edges off. He just says it like it is. You know, he's, he's not a, he would never survive in your average megachurch. He would be out in a week. Attendance would just boom! Go down. But John, he loved people enough to tell them the truth. And John said, you remember what John said, some of the things he said. If we say that we have friendship with him and yet walk in darkness, what does John say? We lie. He knew, this guy, yeah, he would never make, he could never preach in most churches today. He would never, he would never survive. We lie. We do not practice the truth. But this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a, what? Liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His Word, by this we know we are in Him. The one who says He abides in Him ought Himself to walk in the same manner that Jesus walked. <laughs> there it is from, uh, from 1 John. God just never stops saying it. God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. And that's where a large part of the modern church is. This mental ascent, e easy believism kind of Christianity. It's, just, it's a sham. It's a charade. And God just keeps saying it to us. He keeps saying to us. Verse 18, God says this, this wisdom from, uh, from above seed it yields up righteousness. Friends, uh, is, there, is there a seed of righteousness being yielded up? Is there fruits, fruit of righteousness being yielded up in your life? Then you are partaking from the wisdom that originates in the fear of God. James says the sons of God walk as Jesus walked. And we know, hey, we know we don't do it perfectly. I always remind you of this. I'm not preaching sinless perfection. We understand this. But that's our heartbeat, man. 
That's our joy. That's our motivation. To walk as He walked. To honor Him and to glorify Him in our lives. The sons and daughters of God get that whole thing about fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not just hearing and it's not just talking. It's doing the Word. It's how Christians prosecute life. We don't think like the rest of the world. We don't hope for the things the rest of the world hopes for. We don't plan like the rest of the world. We don't even dream like the rest of the world. We don't, certainly don't live like the worst, rest of the world. We, we, we are no longer, how does Paul say it in Romans chapter 12, we are no longer conformed. We are no longer conformed to this world. Our hearts and minds have been transformed. As Paul told the Colossians, we have set our mind on the things above, not on the things below. Friends, is this true of you? If this is true of you, then you are a partaker of the wisdom that comes down from God. The wisdom that originates in the fear of the Lord. If these things are true in your life, we are aliens. Is anyone in here, is, does anyone in here believe he's an alien? Does anybody believe it? Nobody believes it. God says you are. Oh, we have two people. God says you're an alien. He says, you're an exile. You're a stranger. Are you living like that? You should be so conspicuous that everybody knows you belong to Christ. You're an alien. Man, you're like a guy with antennas and green and stuff. You're supposed to be conspicuous. And if you have the wisdom that comes down from above, the wisdom that originates in the fear of God, it'll be flowing through your life like Sarah Grove says. It'll be all spilled out. It'll spill out everywhere. It'll spill out in your life. You'll be like one of those beautiful people in the fashion district. You know those guys? You, you can smell them five minutes before you see them. And you can smell them five minutes after they left. Because they have, they have this, this huge sphere of cologne. It's just like or perfume or whatever. And what does Paul say about, what does Paul say about Christians? We're supposed to be what? The aroma of what? Christ Jesus. You're supposed to be like that. People are supposed to catch that aroma of Christ off you when you're coming and after you've gone. That's what Paul says. That's what the Word of God says. Second Corinthians chapter 2, For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You're supposed to smell like God conspicuously. You're supposed to smell like God. And as we walk in the wisdom that is from above, as we walk in the fear of the Lord, we will have the aroma of Christ all over us. It will be unmistakable. It will be obvious. It will be easy to notice. It will be a remarkable thing in our life. And I want to close. Uh, I don't know how long I've preached. I, didn't, I don't really pay attention to my watch. So. Is it okay? I'm almost done. I'm done. I just want to quote Piper. I love what Piper says about the fear of the Lord. And I know there's misunderstood people get confused about this this thing, this fear of the Lord. Uh, I do. You know, but uh, there's this little kid that lives next door to us, and he screams all day long. It's just like, ah! <laughs> and then about five minutes, ah! It's like I know he's trying to get a parent, uh, get the attention of his parents. But what he needs is a little fear from his dad. <laughs> you know, I, told, I, told Karen, I told Karen, man, I could fix that. 
I know how to fix that. I've been, the, I've been in this place. I know how to fix that. So I'm going to go over and talk to this guy, see if he can, see if he can fix it. But it's, it's unbelievable. It's all day long. It's all day long. But I love what Piper says about the fear of the Lord. Listen to what Piper says. You're going to love this, and I'm done. For most of us, fear is something we want to get rid of, right? Not get more of. If that's true of the fear of the Lord, then something is wrong with our hearts. I love that. Or something wrong with our understanding of what this fear is. He continues, Have you ever gathered up the spectacular promises made to those who fear God? They are so wonderful that you would think fearing God must be the most thrilling thing in the world. And he says, and it is. And I'm just going to list a couple of promises and I'm done. Uh, These are promises that are for those who fear the Lord. Okay? Listen to this. You're going to love this. Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear God. The friendship of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is going to sound so attractive to you after I finish these verses. You'll never be confused about this again. Okay? If you have any confusion at all. Psalm 33, 18 says this, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. Psalm 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers them. Anybody want to sign up for the fear of the Lord yet? Psalm 34, 9, Those who fear the Lord have no want. Fear the Lord thing sounds awesome. Psalm 103.13, The Lord pities those who fear Him. Psalm 103.17, The everlasting love of the Lord is upon those who fear Him. Psalm 147.11, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Proverbs 19.23, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has, uh, has it rests satisfied. Who doesn't want to walk in the fear of the Lord? Awesome promises, friends. Awesome promises, beloved. And I want to exhort you. Don't waste any more time living your Christianity small and in in kind of a secret agent fashion. I want you to go out in the world and be conspicuous. The reason I'm exhorting you to do that is because this is what God this is God's word to his children. My kids, my kids, my kids. And I exhort you, beloved, I'm exhorting you to be a conspicuous God-fearer, an easy-to-notice and obvious God-fearer, a remarkable God-fearer, as you walk in the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that originates in the fear of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this admonition. I thank You that You call us something real, not something fabricated, not something cheap, not something that we can just stick in our hip pocket and pull out when we need it. I love it, Father, that You call us to a radical life change. A radical life change. And I love how You never let us alone. You won't let us lay down in sin and in apathy. You won't let us lay down there. You keep calling us to get up and walk like a son and a daughter of the living God. I thank You, Father, that You just keep exhorting us and exhorting us and exhorting us. 
that we would not waste these few moments we have on this planet thinking that it's all about us. But we would know for sure it's all about Jesus. And we would live like that. Oh God, thank You for this exhortation. Thank You for the wisdom that comes down from above for without it we would be hopelessly lost. We would be stumbling in the dark, falling in the ditch. But God, You offer wisdom to all who will come. All who will repent and believe. You offer the wisdom. You freely give. For if a man lacks wisdom, let him ask our awesome God. And He gives. And He gives. And He gives. And He gives. The omnipotent giver. Oh Lord, we thank You for this exhortation. Thank You that You call us to a high and lofty place. Thank You that You stand us on the rock. Thank You, great God. We love You and we praise You in the name of Jesus. Amen.